we're just going to dive in um, because we got six baptisms today. Um, so often, like, uh, you know, whether it's a membership interview or just a, like a counseling kind of conversation over coffee, I'll ask this question. You know, how, how's your relationship with God? Right? How are you doing spiritually? And oftentimes people will answer, oh, I'm doing, it's going pretty well, right? I'm doing pretty good. Or they'll say, oh, you know, it's not so great. Um, it could be better. You know, those kind of answers. And so I usually follow up with this question. Why do you say that? Right? Why do you say that? And almost always, whether it's, it's going well or it's not going so well, the answers start going, well, I've really been in the Word a lot lately. I've been praying a lot more lately. Or I haven't been in the Word in like forever and, and my prayer life is non-existent. You know? And you notice almost immediately, it's always like I'm doing well or I'm not doing well. And the reason I feel like I'm doing well or I'm not doing well is all based on my performance. Right? It's all based on my performance. Like, I've been doing this, so I feel good. I've not been doing this, so I feel bad. And, and this kind of taps into something that I think tends to be true in almost all of us, right? Uh, somewhat unconsciously, we have this tendency to think that the cross of Christ saves us from our past sin. Right? I, th- I don't think most of us have a hard time with that. When you come to faith in Christ, you're like, he has saved me from my past sin. He's reconciled me to God. But kind of like almost like unconsciously, we just kind of have this thought, but now it's on me, right? But now it's on me. So I need to get my life together. I need to do these things. I need to be in the word. I need to pray. I need to come to church. I need to do all these things to make sure I maintain that relationship, that reconciled relationship with God. It's on me and my performance to keep it going and growing. We we sort of basically function like the gospel's only an entry point. That the good news of the finished work of Christ on the cross is only an entry point to get us in the door. But if we want to stay inside those doors, it's on you and me to work hard to do it. Right? That the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was only enough to get me in. It's kind of how we function. But I've got to come up with something to keep me in. And I want you to listen to me today. That's just plain out a lie. It's, it's wrong. right? And that mindset is actually idolatry. It is idolatrous, right? It's sin within you seeking to lead you away from dependence upon Christ. It's sin within you seeking to lead you away from abiding in Jesus to relying on yourself, relying on your own religious performance. It's a form of idolatry, and it's a lie. It's an absolute lie. If you think that, uh, about it, religion is often like the, the uh, tool of the self-righteous person that they use to worship themselves. Right? I'm better than others because I do these things, I do these things, and I don't do these things. Right? So I can exalt myself, I can worship myself. I, I read briefly from this passage last week uh, in the sermon, but in, in Philippians 3, 4 through 9, which I'm not going to read it, but you can look it up later. Philippians 3, 4 through 9, the Apostle Paul kind of lays out his religious pedigree, his religious performance as an example of what, hey, this is what a religious person can really do when they really put all their strength, all their effort into it. Here's all the stuff that I used to be when I was a Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrew, a Pharisee of Pharisees, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the passage, this is what Paul says, that, that all of his religious performance, all of his effort, all of his exhaustive checklist of all the things he did and didn't do, it amounts to nothing. It amounts to nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. It's nothing. In fact, he says, not just it's nothing, he says it's rubbish. There's a word we don't use enough, right? <laughs> rubbish, right? Just say it. Rubbish. It's fun to say. Really, literally, in the Greek, 
He says it's dung. It's a pile of excrement. All of my religious workings, my, all the stuff I do, it's a pile of dung. It's pretty graphic, but that's literally the truth. That's what it is. That's what it amounts to. That's what it's worth. So think about it. All of your church attendance, all of your serving, all of your giving, all of your going to community group, all of your devotions, your personal Bible study, your prayer time, it's rubbish, right? It's rubbish. It's a pile of excrement if you don't have Christ, if you don't know Christ, if you're not abiding in Jesus. The message we see in the book of Romans uh, so simply and beautifully summed up in this one verse we're going to look at today is that you are saved, sanctified, and sustained. All of those things. Not just saved, but sanctified. You're continuing sanctification. You're continuing growing into Christ-likeness, being made more and more holy. You're being sustained. What keeps you in Christ, what keeps you in him, is all by what Jesus did for you on the cross. It's all by his death and resurrection, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection. That's what saves, what sanctifies, what sustains you. And to add to the gospel, right, to add to the finished work of Jesus is to rob him of his glory and his sufficiency. Romans 8.1 tells us there is now no condemnation, right? Not because of what you've been doing lately or what you've been not doing lately, but because of what Jesus has done. What Jesus has done. Because he has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so your sin in the past, forgiven. Your, your current struggles, covered. Your future failures, paid in full. That's what the word says. That's what the word says. All by the glorious, infinite, matchless grace found in the finished work of the cross of Christ. That's the message that we see in our text today, uh, Romans 8.1. I invite you to stand with me. It's on page 944 in those black ESV Bibles on your row. Let's hear from God's Word. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this one glorious, beautiful verse that we can uh, fix our eyes on today and our hearts on. And I pray that you would help us to truly understand what this one simple verse is saying to us. That you would help us to live in light of the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may have a seat. The book of Romans, in many ways, uh, is kind of like the climax of the Bible. Right? If you think of the Bible like a, a novel, if you will. And, and in some ways, it's, it's the climax of the Bible. And Romans 8 is, by, or is for sure the climax of the book of Romans. And, and Romans 8 also happens to be my favorite chapter in the Bible. You're like, you say that about every book and every chapter, but I, I mean it this time. Um, Romans 8 is my favorite. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to slow way down in, in chapter 8. Right? We've been kind of going at a decent pace through some of the other chapters. We're going to slow way down. We're going to go a little bit faster than one verse per week most of the time. But we're going to take today and the next five Sundays to work through Romans 8 because it's, it's just 
loaded. I mean, there is so much to mine out of this chapter, so much to just marvel at. We're going to take our time with it. And, and if you're a student that's departing for the summer and you're like, dang, right? They're getting Romans 8, now they're going to go slow and I'm gone, right? Lucky for you, we have a podcast. You can follow along at home, right? Shameless plug, complete. Um, now, something that's important to remember as we look at the Bible uh, is that these chapters and verses that we see that are helpful for us in kind of navigating, we're not there in the original text, right? Like, Paul, Paul didn't write down, okay, chapter 7, verse 25, you know, like, and then Romans 8, 1, I will write this. No, he just wrote a letter, right? The, the chapters and the verses came later for our convenience, and there's nothing inspired about the chapters and the verses and how they're arranged. And sometimes they actually are not so helpful. And I think in some ways it's, it's not so helpful now because the, the mindset is, okay, well, Romans 7 is there and that's done. Okay, now it's Romans 8, right? But the word therefore, even in, in this verse, right, it makes it clear that the message of Romans 8 is absolutely connected to what comes before it, right? To everything, really, that, that comes before it, but including chapter 7, and so Paul actually writes, the way he would have written this letter, the end of chapter 7, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then without any break, he goes on to say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The reality is, is that believers are in a state of conflict, but they're not in a state of condemnation. That's his point. There is this war going on within us, right? We wrestle with sin. That's the reality for all of us. But we are not in a state of, of condemnation. That though we're in the midst of conflict, even at the height of that conflict, even at the worst moments of that conflict, if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, you are still justified. You are still declared righteous. You are still counted right with God, made right with God, considered to be in a right, reconciled relationship with God. That, that's true. No condemnation. That's the great truth of Romans 8.1. But to understand that truth, I think we need to ask some questions. And I have three of them for us today. We'll try to work through them pretty quickly. First, what does no condemnation mean? All right, that's an easy question. What, what does that mean? What, like, this is all talking about our position, this verse. It's talking about our position, our standing as believers. Condemnation is a legal term. right? right? It, it's the verdict of guilty to be condemned. You are, you're guilty. You are declared guilty. It's to rule against the defendant. That's condemnation. To not be condemned is to be free from any debt, from any penalty. Right? To be free from that. So no one has any charges against you anymore. Nothing that will stick. Right? They may say something, but it's not true of you anymore. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. A person who is in Christ Jesus is, is not under any condemnation from God. The punishment has been taken away. God has forgiven you. God has pardoned you. This is tremendously good news, is it not? Right? That, that's good news. It means that God has nothing against us. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, he has nothing against you. He finds no fault in you. He has nothing to punish you for. But there's more. There's more to what he's saying. Because but Paul's, <clears throat> he's not simply saying that Christians are not condemned. That's not what he says. Right? He says there is therefore now no condemnation. What he's saying is that those in, in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation at all. There is no more condemnation. That if you are a Christian, 
Condemnation doesn't even exist for you anymore. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. This is different from how I think most of us tend to relate to God. Right? Most of us kind of have this mindset that we're always moving in and out of condemnation. Right? That, okay, I'm not condemned because I came to faith in Christ, but now I blew it, I'm condemned again. So I need to, for, I need to confess, I need to ask for forgiveness so I can move out from under condemnation and not be condemned again. And, oh, I blew it again, I'm condemned. And we just kind of do this like yo-yoing back and forth. I'm condemned, I'm not condemned, I'm condemned, I'm not condemned. But that's not what Paul says here. He says, for you that are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. It doesn't even exist for you anymore. It doesn't mean that there's, that there's just no condemnation now. Right? He doesn't say uh, you're not condemned. That's not what Paul says. He says there's no more condemnation. No more. I, I'm saying this a lot because I want you to hear it because even as you hear it, you're going to ignore it. And you're going to continue to function in that like technology loop or whatever of condemned, not condemned, condemned, not condemned. Um, sorry, you have to watch Portlandia. Um, um, if you're in Christ, condemnation does not even exist for you. That's what I want you to hear. It's gone. It's been removed. It's been completely removed. Or you've been completely removed from it. You've been taken completely out of the realm, completely removed from the possibility of ever again being condemned. That's what Paul says here. That's what no condemnation means. So here's my second question. Why? Right? Why is there no condemnation for believers? And let me answer that question by continuing to basically answer the first one. Uh, about what no condemnation means. Let me give you another version of no condemnation. Let me see if this helps us understand both the what and the why, right? There's another place we go to the Bible, another famous verse, another memory verse that we often know if you grew up in church or you've been in church for a while. This is maybe one of those verses that you've memorized, 1 John 1.9, right? What's 1 John 1.9 say? It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Right? Yeah, and you read that and you think, ah, see, that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? It says, if, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us, all that, right? So it, until I confess my sins, I'm not forgiven, I'm condemned again, right? When I sinned again, I'm condemned, I need to confess to move out, right? Wrong, wrong, absolutely wrong. If that's what you think it's saying, then you're not looking at that verse closely. And you're not really listening to what John writes there. You're not listening to it. That might be how other religions work. Right? In fact, most religions probably absolutely do work that way. I need to do this to be moved out of that again. But not Christianity. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Listen, it doesn't say if, we confess, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and merciful to forgive your sins. It's not saying when, when you come and you say, oh, Lord, forgive my sins, like, reconcile me, cleanse me, make me right with you again because of your mercy. That's not what that verse is talking about. Right? That's not what it's talking about. I'm not saying that God's not merciful. God is merciful, absolutely. But that's not what this verse is talking about. John says he will forgive you your sins because, not because of his mercy, but because of his justice. Because of his justice. He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Here's what that actually means. 
right? If you're in Christ and you come and you ask for forgiveness, you say, God, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. And you, you need to do that. You should do that. Absolutely. But as you come, and, and, and hear me say this reverently because I'm only saying what the Bible is saying. But as a Christian, when you come and you ask God for forgiveness, it would be utterly unjust of God to not forgive you. Why? Why? Well, see, the, the scripture, if you continue in First John chapter 2, it talks about Jesus. Where, where is Jesus, right? He's at the right hand of the Father. He, he stands at the right hand of the Father as our advocate, as our great high priest, and it, he prays for us. He intercedes for us. And so when you pray, God, forgive me of my sin, what is Jesus saying to the Father on your behalf? What's he saying to the Father on your behalf? Is, is Jesus saying, oh, Father, please, I beg of you, I beg of you. I know this is the thousandth time that they've done the same sin this week. But just pretty please, I beg of you, one more time, would you please forgive them, Father? Would you please forgive? Is that what Jesus says? No, that's not what he says. When you come and you confess and you, you ask God forgiveness for forgiveness, you say, God, please forgive me. Jesus simply says to the Father, I've paid for that. I paid for that. You you see that sin there? This brother has committed. This sister has committed. I died for that. Paid in full. It would be unjust for God not to forgive you. For God to require second payment for something that's been paid in full. Jesus doesn't beg for mercy on your behalf when he intercedes for you. He demands your acquittal. He demands your acquittal. It's justice. It's justice. I'm lost in my notes now. Right? There's no more debt because Jesus has paid your debt. There's no more penalty because Jesus has paid the penalty in full. There's no condemnation for you because Jesus was condemned in your place. That's why there's no more condemnation. He was sent to the cross. He was sent out of God's mercy, out of God's love. Jesus came and he lived the life you never could. He died the death you deserve as a sacrifice for your sins. And he paid it all. He paid it all. It's been paid in full. There's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why you're no longer under condemnation. That's why there's no more condemnation. That's why condemnation doesn't even exist for you if you're a Christian. Right? Because Jesus was condemned for you. God's justice now demands that you be forgiven. His justice demands that there's no more condemnation. One last question. What are the implications? Well, that's like, like opening like an unending thing to think about. Right? Think of it. The moment that you come to Christ, there's no more condemnation for you. All of your sins, past, present, future, forgiven. Right? Forgiven. You're counted righteous. You're, you're declared to be the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says. There can never again be condemnation for you. So what's in its place? What's in its place now? Nothing but unending acceptance and welcome into the family of God, adoption as sons and daughters, fully welcomed in, all the way in. You can never be taken out. We'll get to the, if you want to get to the climax of the climax of Romans, right? Chapter 8's the climax. Well, the end of chapter 8 is really the climax of the climax, where, it starts, where Paul starts saying, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. 
Right? That's what you have in the place of condemnation now. Unending acceptance. And nothing can separate you from Christ. Nothing. Nothing you do. Nothing anybody else does to you. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So if you really think on that, the implications are, are beyond measure. But let's look at it from a different angle. The, the great 20th century Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones um, who, who took a really long time preaching through Romans, if you think we're going to slow down here. Um, here's what he says about this verse, Romans 8.1. He says, most of our troubles are due to our failure to realize the truth of this verse. Think about that. Most of our troubles are due to our failure to realize the truth of this verse. I mean, the reality is we are pretty forgetful people. Right? Some of you are really forgetful. You put your keys down and it takes you a, a week to find them again. Um, but all of us are forgetful, even if you're not that person, right? right? We all suffer from gospel amnesia. We forget the truth. We forget, oh, there's no, no condemnation. There's no more condemnation. And then, like, we'll walk out of here. You walk out of here, I guarantee you, some of you won't even make it out the door. And you'll forget this. You'll forget it, right? And, and you'll be walking back in the, in the reality of, of condemnation again. We're prone to forget. We're prone to forget this truth. But here's what I want you to do. The next time that you find yourself struggling, the next time you're in trouble, the next time you're experiencing some kind of pain or suffering in your life, I want you to ask yourself, if I believe that there was no condemnation for me, if I really believe that in the depths of my heart, of my soul, would I act this way? Would I react differently? What would be different about how I'm responding in this moment? And most of the time you're going to find out, absolutely, you would respond differently. You'd react differently. You would act differently if you really grasped and understood what this means, that there's no condemnation for you. You see, when you forget this truth, you automatically, you feel much more guilt, unworthiness, pain than you should. When you forget it, you absolutely, you absolutely feel that way. Where do you think our addictions come from? Our addictive behaviors, right? whether it's drugs or alcohol, pornography, where do you think those addictions come from? So much of the time, that's driven by these feelings of unworthiness, of guilt, of shame. That's kind of the cycle, like, you know, especially for like pornography addiction. Right? You look at something, you feel this immense shame, you feel unworthy, you feel unworthy of any kind of real intimacy, any kind of real relationship, and so what do you do? You end up looking at pornography again. It drives you right back to it because you feel unworthy of anything else. And it just traps you in this cycle again and again and again. You've forgotten. There's no more condemnation. No. Why do you think it's so hard for you to take criticism? A professor gives you a grade that you weren't expecting that you don't think you deserve. Someone speaks truth into your life. Or maybe they speak untruth into your life. Something that's false. About you. It's not even fair criticism, but immediately you're like defensive, like you've got to justify yourself. It's because you've forgotten. There's no condemnation. There's, there's no condemnation. Why do you think there's so much trouble in some of your relationships? Right? Maybe it's with your parents, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a, a sibling, a brother, a sister, maybe it's a friend, a co worker, a child, even. Um, as, as your children get older, especially. I saw a, help, a helpful illustration when I was studying this week from, from Tim Keller. 
but, but he talks about this, this whole idea of, of relationships and where these troubles come from in relationship to this verse. And he basically just says, you, you put a gun in their hands, right? You put a gun in their hands. You've said in your heart, if this person doesn't like me, if they don't accept me, if they don't approve of me in this way, that way, whoever it is, I'm condemned. I'm condemned. And he says, you put a condemnation gun in their hands, and then they shoot you with it, and you're just completely undone, right? You're completely undone because you've forgotten. You've forgotten this truth. Forgetting the truth of this verse leaves you with, with also like with far less motivation to live a holy life, right? If you think about it, if all there is for motivating obedience to God, uh, apart from understanding this verse, all you're left with is, is just fear, right? Fear of God, like I'm afraid he's going to condemn me again. I'm afraid I better, I better do right or I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm going to be in the corner, you know, setting aside for a little while, right? Or, or this just sense of duty, right? A strong sense of duty. But those are far inferior motivations for obedience and for holiness. Fear and duty, right? It's not near as powerful as a, a motivation as love and gratitude. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he, he uses this illustration as well. He, he says, the difference between an unbeliever sinning and the Christian sinner, uh, sinning is the difference between a man trans, transgressing the laws of the state and a husband who has done something he should not do in his relationship with his wife. Right? Thinking of the husband, he is not breaking the law, he's wounding the heart of his wife. That is the difference. It is no longer a legal matter. It's a matter of personal relationship and love. The man does not cease to be the husband legally in that instance. Law does not come into the matter at all. In a sense, it is now something much worse than a legal condemnation. I would rather offend against a law of the land objectively outside me than hurt someone whom I love. In that case, you have sinned, of course, but you have sinned against love. You may and you should feel ashamed, but you should not feel condemnation because to do so is to put yourself back under the law. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. We're not under law, we're under grace. And it's this whole idea, like if I sin against my wife, absolutely I am driven to seek forgiveness, to confess, to reconcile. But I'm not, I'm not driven to do so because like, oh, now I'm out of the marriage I'm condemned. I, I'm removed from a relationship. No, I do so because I've wounded someone who I deeply love. That's what it is with Christ now. There's no more condemnation. But, but the, the sins within the family are almost worse than the sins that happen outside the family, are they not? Like when you wound someone within the family, it, it's so much deeper. The pain is, is so much deeper. But it's not like I'm going to remove my children when they sin against me. Like, sorry, kids. I'm done with you. You have to move out. I know you're eight. Tough it out. <laughs> right? That's not how it works, right? I'm, I'm, listen, I am by far not a perfect father. I, I'm a failure of a father on so many levels. But I absolutely love my own children enough that there's nothing I'm going to do to push them out of the house and be done with them. They may wound me. They may disappoint me. They may hurt me deeply. But I love them to that level. And, and I'm imperfect, right? You have a perfect heavenly father. And you have a savior who has lived for you, who has died for you, has risen for you, who's paid it all in full. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from that. There is no more condemnation. There is no more condemnation. All right? 
And that motivation is so much more powerful than duty or guilt or fear. The motivation to know that you're loved like that. To, the motivation of gratitude, to be shown that kind of mercy and grace. In John 8, there's this beautiful example of Jesus using this, this, this verse, this idea of no condemnation on someone. Uh, at the beginning of John 8, there's a story, the woman caught in adultery. Do you know the story? Do you know the story? If you don't know the story, go read John chapter 8, the beginning of John chapter 8 uh, afterwards today. It's a, it's a great read. It'll, it'll speak to you, I have no doubts. But, but Jesus, right, this, this woman is caught in adultery. Her accusers bring her out before Jesus. And, and I won't give the whole story to you, but Jesus gets rid of the accusers. He does something, right, and he gets rid of them, and they leave. And then he turns to the woman, and he says to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Right? This is very different from our approaches, right? The liberal approach, which is becoming increasingly the louder approach of our culture, is you haven't sinned, right? There is no sin. There's no sin, so there's no condemnation. Do what you feel. Do whatever you want. You're fine. There's no condemnation. Right? Likewise, just as wrong is the conservative approach, if you will. Right? You have sinned. You are condemned. You better get your act together. You better straighten yourself out. You better make things, fix things, get it together, or, or you're, you're going to remain condemned. Right? But Jesus' approach is completely different. He says, neither do I condemn you Go and sin no more. In other words, you absolutely have sinned. Jesus is not saying your sin doesn't mean anything. He's not saying that your sin isn't serious. It's so serious, he has to die for it. He has to shed his own blood for it. Your sin is serious. He's not saying you have not sinned. You absolutely have sinned. But he's saying, I pay for it. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He's not saying go and sin no more and then I won't condemn you. But he says, neither do I condemn you. And because I don't condemn you, you now have the power in me, in Christ, to go and sin no more, to resist sin. That's the gospel. Right? That's the gospel. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you hear me today? Do you hear me today? I want you to abide in that. We need to abide in that. We need to remind each other of that. We need to rejoice in that. And we need to live our lives in light of that more and more. Let me pray. Father, we, we thank you for this, this verse, this one verse um, that, that we could go on and on for sure today. Um, I pray that you just help us to just quiet our, our souls and, and listen to you say that to us. For those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have turned from sin and put their trust in Jesus, those who cling to him as Lord and Savior, there is therefore now no condemnation. Would you let that renew our hearts that we might act differently? Would you let us hear that and know that we are not condemned so that we might have the power in you as we abide in you to resist sin, to respond differently, to take criticism, fair or unfair, and respond with kindness and graciousness. That we might have healthier relationships, that we might resist addictions 
and know that, that you have taken care of our guilt and our shame. You've set us free to come to you, to let our struggles be known, to invite brothers and sisters to fight with us. Lord, would you renew our hearts today with that truth? There's no condemnation. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.